Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, especially those who are guests. Thank you for making us your church home for an hour today. Uh, we're going to continue on our series on faith to move forward. And um, we're going to talk about today something that is important to us as a people about what that faith looks like and what it looks like to move forward. So turn with me over to the book of Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Before we get into the message, I made a comment last week um, that, that, that I, I, I don't know that I need to adjust, but I, but I need to speak to because we, we had a bunch of, uh, when I say something that's um, a little rustling, I get emails. <laughs> and, and I talked about the endurance and how we need to not quit. And I spoke about people who did mudders. M-U-D-D-E-R-S. They are races where you add to a five or ten mile moment uh, sliding through mud, climbing over obstacles, um, jumping over trenches, uh, walking on your hands and knees, swimming through yuck. And um, I, I mentioned something like, that's a, that's a stupid race. Um, I don't know that I can amend my comment, but I am very impressed with anybody who does that. <laughs> That's the best I can do, because it's a stupid race. It's a stupid race. It's stupid, it's stupid, it's stupid. But if you do it, you're amazing. Oh, Jesus, help. I'm going to get some more emails this week. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Faith to move forward. The title is Sending Your Best. Sending Your Best. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Verse 3. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Lord, help as we study, please. Three things on this passage about which I'd like to talk to you. One, the diversity and the unification of this church at Antioch. Two, how devoted they were to God and one another. And three, their willingness to deploy. The church at Antioch is a different church. Fundamentally, the same as the church at Jerusalem. That was the mama church. Jerusalem was an amazing congregation. Estimated at its height about 20,000 people. Peter, John, James, Andrew, all the disciples were the leaders of this congregation in Jerusalem. What a staff. Can you think about it? I mean, the primary apostles of the church were your pastors. Wow. Could it get any better? Best leaders on the planet in this one congregation. And they were growing. Miracles were happening. 
It wasn't just about them becoming a larger people. It was about them becoming a better people. Peter, who who was the leader of the church, though not the pastor. James was really the pastor. Peter was the leader of the movement to reach all of what they thought was Israel and then the Israelites that were not within the borders of Israel. Peter was the leader of that, but James was the pastor of the church. And they had such faith. I mean, they were afraid when Jesus left that it was all going to fall apart, but it multiplied. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus had been gone for a while, about 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit fell, and all of them were transformed. And Peter, who was afraid to confess Jesus before a little servant girl the night Christ was betrayed and crucified the next day, stood up in front of thousands of people who had just crucified Christ some 50 days earlier, preached the gospel, and in 20 minutes, 3,000 people repented. And now the church was birthed amazing. And they thought Jesus was needed in order to make this happen. But Jesus said, it's better that I go. Be, put yourself in the, in the disciples' position for a minute. Be them. How would you ever think it was a good idea for the Son of God, who is the best minister who has ever been, to leave? You have to say when he says that, you got to be kidding. I mean, I know you don't lie. I know you're not wrong. But something's not right here. You leaving is a good idea? What are we supposed to do? We've given up everything for you. I give it up my job. I've lost my reputation because everybody in the religious community identifies with me with you and they don't like you, so they don't like me. You leave, what am I supposed to do? I didn't sign up for this for you to check out. Better that I go. Because the Holy Spirit won't come and you won't be what you need to be, but when I go, it's going to be amazing. Jesus saw things beyond them. And they didn't know what they would become, but they became great. So great were they. Miracles were happening as if Jesus was among them. Except it, was, it seemed to be happening with more rapidity because there were more people who had Jesus in them. And so it wasn't just one person at one time committing one miracle. It was now 10, 12, 15, 20 fellows who weren't even a part of the original 12 were confused as being so identified with them that people thought they were, like Stephen, a deacon, a fellow whose primary responsibility was to deliver pizza that's all his job was, was to take a two-piece to the people that didn't have any food. And he sees some folk in the process of delivering his food who need help beyond just hunger. And so uh, folks who were lame and, and blind and deaf, he prayed for them and they got healed. A pizza delivery boy, a servant in the church who opened the doors, a deacon whose responsibility was not to preach from here, but to serve out there. Miracles were happening in Jerusalem like this all the time. Peter on his way to pray at, 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 in the temple. As he's going, he sees a guy who had been sitting there lame for decades. We don't know how many, but lame. And, and the guy's begging for money. And, and, the, and, and Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. Now, this is an on-the-way miracle. This wasn't a miracle service planned. Those are good. But this evidence is the faith that was on the inside of Peter when he, when he didn't know he would need it. That he had already cultivated the kind of stuff on the inside that if something had come up that was unplanned, that required the miraculous, he was ready to perform whatever God desired. 
He says, silver and gold have I none. What I do have, I give to you. What do you have beyond material stuff to help people? I don't think Peter was poor. I just think he didn't have enough to give him what he needed. But, but he did have what he didn't know he needed. And that is the ability to see him raised up from his bed of affliction so that he now could leap and dance, which he did. And Peter says, pulled him up. He said, in the name of Jesus, walk. Took him by the hand, pulled him up. And he who was lame for decades had his legs become strong. And he didn't just walk. He began to dance and praise God in the temple. So that everybody who didn't like the church began to evidence the fact that the guy who was at the gate that they all saw begging for decades was now doing something he had never done. And now everybody in the, 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 the temple was looking at Peter saying, how did this happen? He said, well, it's sort of me, but not. It's really the grace of God just working through us. Jesus raised this one up as a result of my prayer. I didn't do it. He did. And now more people came to the knowledge of the truth because everybody who had come to their version of Old Testament church going to the temple saw this guy for decades and now he was walking. At some level, church, at some time, we've got to be able to give people beyond what they know they need. It's important for us to provide for the physical needs of people. Yes, but what more do you have? And if you find yourself lacking there, you need to find yourself wanting there. God, help me to be more than just whatever they need. The church in Jerusalem was amazing. They were given to one another as anyone might have need, considering their resources, that which could be distributed regularly to somebody else who didn't have. Stunning was the church in Jerusalem. Setting culture, giving us an idea about what church ought to look like. But for some reason, they didn't capture as well as they should of the idea that Jesus wanted them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. These were some of his last words. Go, Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach his gospel to all nations. Now, they may have thought what he said was this, go into all the world and preach the gospel across borders, crossing borders, nations, and make sure that you touch the Jewish people in those nations because Jesus was Jewish, Peter was Jewish, Andrew was Jewish, James was Jewish, John was Jewish, all the disciples were Jewish. And this Messiah was promised to the Jewish people, though there were enough Old Testament passages that would, that would more than encourage us to believe that he was for the entire world, not just the Jewish people, but they didn't see those passages like that. And so they heard it differently than we know it now. Go in all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've told you, and Lord, I will be with you all, always, even till the end of the earth. And so the word nations is actually the word ethnos, which means people groups. It doesn't mean just borders that you cross. Jesus was trying to figure out how in the world can we get bread. He's not Jewish. But I love him and my son died for him. How can we get bread? So the disciples didn't think so much about bread. They thought, go reach the Jewish people across these borders, my national border. And they were doing a fairly good job of that. But then persecution hit. Persecution has a way of inspiring you. All of a sudden, you, you hear differently. Jesus said, go into all the world. I think now's a good time. 
things are turning up really hot here. I mean, it's getting really difficult. The church in Jerusalem was being persecuted. They were looking at Christians as being the enemy, and they were taking their property. They were, they were doing their best to try to crucify the ones they could. The Jews were trying to stone those as those being, uh, thinking they were heretics to the Jewish faith. Things weren't good in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8. And so the church was scattered. Some people went to the north a little bit in Samaria, and a guy named Philip, who was a deacon, started preaching to the Samaritans, and some of them got right. It got word back to the Jewish folks in Jerusalem, Peter and the, the disciples. They said, Samaritans got saved? Samaritans. Huh. That's interesting. And they had to go up and to investigate. So Peter and John go up to investigate. And sure enough, these Samaritans that were not Jewish fully in their orientation, they were really half Jew and half ethnos, us, they, they started worshiping, and, and Peter and John prayed for it, and they received the Holy Spirit, and they were saying, huh, well... They're half Jewish. I get that. They have to. Okay, they got a little bit of covenant. Just a little bit of covenant on the inside of them. That makes sense. Following the redemptive line, the bloodline. I get it. Okay, good, 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 good. And then Peter gets this vision. He's over at a friend of his named Simon, and he's hanging out on the beach. And he's with him, and he goes up, up on the roof to take a, a nap, waiting for lunch. And this sheet comes down out of heaven. And in the sheet uh, are, are pigs, ribs specifically. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> Shrimp, Maryland crab, all the things that are unclean to eat. They aren't kosher. The things that a Jew could eat were things that divided the hoof and chewed the cud. The, ch the cud is that which an animal takes down, chews, takes down into the first compartment of the stomach. They've got four more. And they bring it back up to chew it again to make it digestible enough to assimilate into the entire body. So if an animal did not chew the cud and divide the hoof, it was considered unclean and then inedible. In the waters, it had to have fins and scales. So if something had fins and no scales, you couldn't eat it. If something had scales and no fins, you couldn't eat it. If it had neither fins nor scales, you surely could not eat it. Bugs, everybody saying, they're all unclean, right? They're all unclean. Well, crickets had to divide the leg in three, two places and have three portions. So crickets and grasshoppers were clean. So there was a dietary restriction upon Israelites. And God brings out this sheet, and there's a whole bunch of unclean things in there. And, and the voice says in the vision that he's having, Peter is having on the roof, arise, kill and eat. Get up and eat. Peter says, no, Lord. He knows the Lord speaking to him. No, I have never eaten anything unclean. She pops back up. She comes down again. Same thing. Get up and eat. No, Lord, I have never. Third time comes down. God says the same thing. He says, no, Lord, I have never. God says on the third time, don't call anything unclean that I have declared clean. Now, there's some fellas coming for you. And there's a man named Cornelius who's been praying to me, talking to me. He's a Roman centurion. I like him a lot. I died for him. My son died for him. I want you to go minister to him. He is a Roman. As soon as the vision finishes, knock on the door. The guy downstairs, Simon, his buddy, is trying to hide Peter from these Romans because the Roman Empire doesn't like Christians. And so I imagine they come to the door and say, is a man named Peter here? Uh-uh. Nope, never heard of them, ain't seen them. 
Peter walks out. <laughs> it's okay, Simon. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I had a vision. I got to go with him. Simon is just blown. His mind is, oh, no, they have the leader of our church. The Romans are going to kill him. Oh, no. And he texts all his friends back in Jerusalem. <laughs> pray now, pray now, pray now. <laughs> Peter goes back with these fellas to Cornelius' house. Cornelius has gathered all his friends and family. Peter preaches the gospel. Everybody gets more right with God than they've ever been in their life. Holy Spirit falls on them. They start speaking in tongues. Peter's going, wow, God loves people who don't have any Jewish blood. That's amazing. He comes back to Jerusalem and tells the leaders in Jerusalem, Guys, God likes Gentiles. He really does. The Holy Spirit fell on them just like he fell on us because the people in Jerusalem had heard that he had gone to minister to Gentiles and when he came back, they were rebuking him, saying, you shouldn't spend your time there. You went, you went to unclean people? He said, let me tell you the story. They all said, amazing. Well, I guess they can come in, but we won't go get them. We won't go get them. We'll let them come in if they come in. If they get right, great, but our target is to the Jewish people. That was the mindset of Jerusalem. Now, I spent a lot of time on this to lay the groundwork for Antioch because Antioch was completely different. Antioch was made up of a diverse leadership, and it came as a result of that persecution I talked about earlier. Some Jewish people in Jerusalem started sensing that they needed to go to the nations <laughs> because it got really hot. And so some people who had probably gotten right with God in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, who had been a part of the church there, now said, let's go back home. And there were some people from the area of Antioch that went back to Antioch. Now, Antioch is about 350 miles north of Jerusalem, where we now know is northern Syria, on the border of Turkey, what we would now know as Turkey. And as they went to Antioch, they began to win Jewish people there. And a church began to be birthed. And then some of them ventured out beyond that and began to win people like us, Gentiles. And everybody was amazed. Word got back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11 that these people had begun this church that was really mixed. And the people in, in Jerusalem said, okay, we thought Gentiles could get right, but can they really worship with Jews? Can't they have their own congregation? How is that working? So they sent Barnabas, this guy who was a part of the leadership in the church of Jerusalem. Y'all following me? Sent Barnabas to Antioch to go figure out what's going on there. We've never heard of this before. Barnabas, even though not one of the 12, became like number 13 because he was so amazing. His name was Joseph, and he began the giving revival with all the people in Jerusalem, whereby they began to look at their possessions as not being their own, but sharing with everybody. And they changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas, Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, because he encouraged the church so much. And he became known as a prophet there in the church of Jerusalem. They sent him to Antioch and said, report back to us about what's going on there. He went there and said, this is amazing. Stayed there for over a year, and when he saw what was happening here, he remembered that just a little while ago, a dude named Saul came to the knowledge of the truth. Whew, that Saul was different. When he came down to Jerusalem, he had some different ideas about life. In fact, I remember him talking about reaching Gentiles, which all of us said were really strange ideas. And so he found out Saul was in Tarsus. Please follow me. This is, I'm speaking really fast. He found out Saul was in Tarsus. 
Barnabas goes to Tarsus. Finds Saul, brings him back to Antioch because he realizes there's only one guy I know who has the theological framework to justify what we're doing and accentuate and accelerate what we're doing. It's Saul. Brings him back. Saul's there for an entire year. Things are going. And now you've got a church leadership that is diverse and is reaching a diverse population. But unified. Church, that's where we, Grace Covenant, come from. I realize the church of Jerusalem is amazing, but we are children of Antioch. Not just because we have a diverse population in this room, but because we are Gentiles that were cut off from the covenant of Almighty God. And somebody thought it was important to reach out to us intentionally. And this people in Antioch, I mean, in the writer of, 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 the, of, the, of chapter 13, again, it's not written in chapters, but the writer of, of Acts, Luke, the man is named Luke who wrote Acts. This writer is doing what he can to try to make sure everybody understands how this church was different. He says there was a dude there named Lucius of Cyrene. Uh, excuse me, Simon of Cyrene, who was also called Niger. We think this was the same guy. Actually, the name in, in Acts is Simeon, but we think it's the same guy, Simon, who helped Jesus carry his cross when Jesus was being crucified. Because there's too much similarity to the moment. And there, in order to be a leader in the church, you have to be in this thing for a little while. The church was only about nine to ten years old at this time. Meaning you had to grow up in it to have some leadership. And we think that Simon or Simeon may have been that man. But he was from northern Africa, from Cyrene. So, so, and he was called Niger, which means black. Meaning they called him black man. That was his nickname. That was his nickname. Black man. Simon of Cyrene called Niger. Black man. Not a derogatory, not an epithet. A describer, a descriptive term. That's all it was. And then, and then you got a guy named uh, 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 Menaean who grew up with, with Herod the Tetrarch. Me, literally, that word, grew up means he was a foster son of the parent. So he actually grew up with Herod. You got a political man who understands something about how kingdoms work and he's a part of the, been a part of the system and, and, and then you got Paul and Barnabas who are dyed in the wool Jews Barnabas in there in the church of Jerusalem Paul grew up Jewish and even was a Pharisee and then you got a guy named Lucius now I don't, I don't know many contexts around the world where most folk don't look at the name Lucius and say black Okay, let me do this. Laquisha. <laughs> yeah, you get my point. I'm emphasizing this because this is us. You have diversity and leadership in this house. Amazing. And what they wanted to do is figure out how they could replicate this across the world. They loved Jerusalem. That was mama. But no church on the planet looks like this one. Pope, people from different backgrounds coming together and being one, yet diversity. A model for what God wanted to do on earth because that's what it looked like in heaven. A model. And so they had unity with diversity and, and they had a great devotion to one another. <laughs> and to God, it says that they were ministering to the Lord. 
So their focus was not just to window case who they were as a diverse group of people and say, look at what God has done. It wasn't just about them. It says they were ministering to the Lord. They loved God so much that they didn't just minister to people. They wanted to minister to him. And when we gather together on a Sunday, I know it's important for you to hear from somebody like me. That's one of the reasons you're here. I realize it's important for you to engage as a result of what people do here on Sunday when we worship in song. I get that. But primarily, you are here not to be ministered to, but to minister. It's not just about you receiving whatever the group gives. It's not just about you hearing whatever I say. It's about you giving your entire attention to Almighty God that you can figure out what can I do to make you happy this week. Ministering to him. And you say, well, what need does God have that I can fill? <laughs> He's got everything. He doesn't need me. I get, I, yeah, I get that. But he does want you to do some things. He wants you to worship him. Because when you worship you understand who he is better, and you get changed to be better used by him. When you minister to the Lord, he ministers back to you. They were ministering to him, and things were happening. <laughs> it was amazing. And we don't have any focus upon which they kind of, you know, made this, this, this unusual targeted, concentrated moment. We don't have any reason it says that they were ministering to the Lord. They were just doing it. It was just everyday worship. Worship. Focus on who he is. And out of that, they heard some things. The devotion that we need to God needs to be unusual regularly. I'll say it again, because it deserves an amen, but you didn't do it, so I'm going to go back to it. <laughs> the devotion we need to God should be unusual regularly. Yeah. It says that they fasted. Do you do that? When you worship, do you have moments where you set aside food in order to say, God, I give away that which is absolutely necessary for my existence so I can receive that which is essential for my being. And some of you, I realize, can't fast. Some of you don't even know why in the world. How could that work? Because your focus is, is, is honed. Your, your attention is tunneled so that you are not any longer getting your supply of strength and help from that which is natural. But now you are depending completely on God to supply. And we're not talking about fasting until you go to heaven. <laughs> Nobody wants that. It's unneeded. And some of you can't fast. And so you need to choose other things. You have physical issues or medical issues or you're pregnant. Don't, don't deny yourself food in those moments. But you need to fast something that's that's important when you fast. Fasting desserts mm, kind of misses the spirit of the necessary. Just misses the spirit of the necessary. I heard that some people fast social media. Oh, okay. Yes, but not really. You got to find the thing that's really needful to you because that's when you, the sacrifice increases so that you can, you can say to your own soul, that which I absolutely have to have, I choose to neglect because I need that which I can't live without. I need God to come to me. I need him to help me. I need him to unravel this knot of a life into which I've, I've gotten myself. I need him more than ever, and there is no way I can continue to, to do what I'm doing and get different results. So God, in this fast, 
Either change me or that. I don't know which, but something has to change because I can't, I can't live this way anymore. They were fasting. And we fast as a church. We fast beginning of the year for a week. We fast during Easter, and we fast during our anniversary month coming up next month. Three times a year. Now, you can fast anytime you want. I fast beyond that. You can fast anytime you want. And, and, and it doesn't always have to be 911 moments like these people. There's no emergency that's happening in Antioch. They're just doing it because they love them and they want more of them. And, and, and the beauty is this when you consecrate and devote yourself like this, it, it seems that you have less 911 moments for which you need to fast. I'm, I'm just saying, it happens that way. Why? Because you don't put yourself in a ditch like you used to. You, you drive more straight with your life. <laughs> God, how'd I get here? You drove yourself. <laughs> As a result of their fasting, it says that God spoke. God spoke. Fasting allows your ear to be tuned Consecration to God allows your ear to be tuned to the frequency upon which he regularly speaks. They heard the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me. Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. Wow. Arguably, these were the two best ministers in the world in this area. In the area of diversity, the two Best ministers in the world. And I say arguably simply because we don't know enough about Barnabas. He kind of disappears from the scene after the first missionary journey with Saul, who later became Paul. But we know a lot about Paul. Best ever. Nobody ever has been better than this man at doing anything <laughs> spiritual, preaching, teaching, praying, fasting, counseling, discipling, leadership. Nobody has ever been better. And the Holy Spirit said, take your best and send them away. I mean, if you're, if you're in leadership, you got to do a double take. You're going to obey God, but you got to say, that's a good idea. That's a good. We really need this dude, Saul. He gives theology that helps us stay together. He's a, nobody's got what he's got. He's something. He got a, a download from God, so much so that God ha had to allow a messenger of Satan because the information he got would exalt him to such a place in his own mind that he thought he was better than everybody else. That's how good he got it. And some stuff when he went to heaven to get what he got, God won't let him, even let him share. We call that secrets. God shares secrets with this guy. And you want us to send him away? Kind of like what the disciples may have said when Jesus said, it's better that I go. It's tough sending your best because they're competent. But you surely don't want to send your worst. <laughs> Let me tell you what sending your worst is. They don't fit here. We don't like them. We'll send them. That's a bad sending. You always want to send your best. Always. And Saul and Barnabas were the best. And they obeyed. And as a result of Saul and Barnabas being sent on the first missionary journeys that were intentional, not caused by 
persecution, but this was the first time the church actually sent people to go reach folk like us. The world changed. The world changed. And generationally, we were one. Antioch sent who they were. When they sent who they were, they produced what they came from. Gosh, what a deal. Now, you realize it's 1143 and he's got to end this sermon. So where are we going with this? We believe in church planting, but it takes faith to do so. It takes faith. We are a people that believe that God can meet us wherever we are in order to provide for us in our sending and in our replacement. But it takes faith. You have to say, Lord, we're going to obey you. And so we obeyed you when we sent Dehan Lee five years ago to plant our church in L.A. What a deal. That man's got 600 folk coming. Amazing. Would he have been great here? (laughs) We sent Tim Johnson in 2004, 2002, or 2000 to, to Nashville to help the church in Nashville. And then he went to Orlando and we helped plant him in Orlando. He's got 700 people on Sunday. He is a beast of a minister. I mean, he is so big. We sent Donald Jones in 1999 to plant our church downtown in D.C., what a man. He's been here to minister. He's got four or 500 on a Sunday morning, 600 on Easter. We sent Daryl Morrison through Donnell Jones two years ago to Planet Phoenix. After a year and a half of worship, he's got 260 on Sunday morning. Keith Tower down in Orlando, Florida, sent in 2006. He's got 400 worshiping on Sunday morning. We planted a church, helped to plant with New York, a church in Philadelphia. We got 1,000 members up there. We planted in Vietnam with the Vietnamese, 1999. 900 to 1,000 underground church members, 95% of whom were under the age of 25. Stunning. Could we not have been like 15,000 with all that leadership we sent out? Oh, absolutely. But God said, set apart these people for the work of service to which I've called. And with tears, we happily sent them out. We're about to plant a church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to reach out to Coastal Carolina University and that region of the country. And we are sending nothing less than our best to make it happen. No, not me. (laughs) I'm standing here. I know where I'm called to be. But we are sending the best servants we have in this house. They got a word from God to do it. Holy Spirit spoke to them. And as a result of our consecration over years, we are ready to set them aside for that purpose. Now, I need the ushers to hand out hankies because it's Pastor Sean and Danelle Perkins. (laughs) I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, come on up, Sean and Danelle. You're supposed to laugh. You're supposed to clap. You're You're supposed to rejoice.
here amazed at what our Father does. Um, we're not leaving. We're just moving down the road of peace. Um, but we were excited. The Lord spoke to my husband and I a few years ago and um, planted this in our heart. But our prayer was that the timing would be right. And, you know, praying with our leaders and sharing the vision of the Myrtle Beach area, we just feel like it's time. A um, tremendous door of service is open to us down there through one of our um, friends that we worked with here is now the police chief down in Myrtle Beach. And he just has a heart for that area, loves the Lord with all his heart, and wants to see the gospel advanced. And he's asked us to join in with him. And we just felt like the Lord was saying, go. So we heard it in our spirit. Um, it's, it's bittersweet for me, one, because this is family. We've been here for almost 21 years. So we've grown up in this house. And um, so it's bittersweet. But Myrtle Beach is also close to my heart. My dad is from South Carolina, and that was always our vacation spot since I was small. So for God to send me back there now to live and to plant is amazing. Um, the vision that he's given us is huge, but we know with him and his help, um, we'll be able to accomplish what he would have us to do down there. Thank you for your kind response to us. We're grateful for the opportunity to serve you for 20 years in this house. Grateful for our leader, Brett Fuller, and the things that he has done for us and to us to prepare us for what God has for us. We want to ask you to do some things for us. We want to ask you to pray. We want to ask you to give. We want to ask for you to go with us. And don't do it because you just like us. Do it because God has called you to do it so that we can go down there and watch God reconcile people groups. Watch him restore families. Watch him rebuild that South Carolina area for the kingdom of God. This is our hope. And we hope that you'll pray. We hope that you'll believe for us. And we hope that God will speak and you'll go with us. Bless you. All right. So <laughs> the, the knee-jerk response from 85% of the church was, oh, no, I get it. We've had a year to process this. That's what I said when they told me, oh, no, because they're so great. They're so great. And if a leaving doesn't, if ascending and leaving doesn't feel like this, it's not right. It's not right. It ought to hurt. While at the same time you are rejoicing that the kingdom is expanding in somebody's life. And you are rejoicing through your tears. I can't tell you how many cries, times I've cried about this one. Because these people support me. They support you, but they not only, they not only support you, they support me. She prays for me. She prays for my family. She prays for my wife. She prays for my kids. Pastor. Sean helps me physically, and he prays for us, too. There's nobody in this church like them to me. Nobody. And what they do for you, it's like, it's like Samson lifting things on a regular basis to help this church be what it should be. They, they, they're so strong, they do more than sometimes five or six people can do. And, and as evidence, we have to find five or six people to take their spots. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. That's why it hurts for many other reasons beyond that. 
relational connection, friendship, 25 years of history, it hurts. But it ought to. It ought to. Because we love one another so much. Now, hear these, hear these words clearly. They are not leaving tomorrow. They will be here for a year. Is somebody clapped. <laughs> yeah, it was spontaneous too. Woo, woo, woo. Oh, I can't clap right now. It's not a clapping point. They're not leaving tomorrow. It's going to take them a year to transition. And see, we've been doing this for a year because whenever we plant a church abroad, not here locally, abroad, it takes six months for us to determine what staff is going to go with them. And so we tell the staff because it takes us a long time to try to backfill in that area. We've got, to hire, we've got to train somebody and employ them and then get them used to the culture of who we are as a people. And then after that six-month period, we tell our leadership, which is about 250 folks who are doing small group ministry or children's ministry or men or women's ministry outreach, we tell them, would you like to go? And it takes them to pr time to process. So by the time it gets to you, we've been through an entire year of processing who wants to go and who should go. And then we tell you a year out because you got to sell your house if you want to go. you got to get a new job if you want to go. If you feel the Holy Spirit is inspiring you, and we hope so. Now, I know you might find it strange to see churches that are actually telling people to leave. But we believe it's important to plant who we are other places. And so we rejoice with people who are being sent by us to do something on our behalf for people that we can't reach from here. And so we are excited about the possibility of you praying about the inconvenience that is associated with the privilege of accompanying these people. It'll cost you so much, but the benefit will be so great. So we want you to pray. You got a year. But it doesn't mean simply because you feel something that you can just tag on. You have to go through a process of vetting because we don't want you to have a bad experience. It might be tough, but it shouldn't be bad. So we want to make sure you are prepared, that if you're hearing right, these things are in place in your life, you're ready to be a support, not a drag. That if you're going, you're ready to give, not receive. This is not to scratch something of significance on the inside of you. It's to serve a people that don't have the thing that they need. All those things we help to vet as pastors so that when we send a team, it's like, it's, it's, it's like um, salt wouldn't be the right term. Whatever military term you'd, you'd use for the people who go and prepare the way for the rest greatest team possible to help those folk down there come to know Jesus. So, we are, we are somberly excited about this possibility. Will you join with me in prayer right now? Father in heaven, thank you for this family. Thank you for what they've been to our house. Thank you for what they've been to my wife and I and my family. And we thank you for what they are going to be for the municipality of, of Myrtle Beach and the University of Coastal Carolina. We trust you that you've already prepared people and pathways so that they can be a success. And we ask that you would strengthen them and give them wisdom to make great decisions and that you would, you would allow them to develop a team here that is strong. Aaron's and hers who can lift up their hands as they go. Prepare that place for them in Christ's name. And we thank you for what they've meant to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Love you dearly. Okay, that's all for today. Be great this week. Stretch out in faith and see God do the miraculous.